As a leadership development coach, Nikki's mission is to influence a zest for personal growth with her clients, no matter what the experience level of the client. Identifying healthy habits and creating cultures of accountability for teams are her passions. With an extensive career in government, specifically emergency preparedness, Nikki understands the commitment and value of planning, building habits that serve you well now, so when you experience unplanned issues, they are built in. Her work with all levels of leadership and organizations allows her to see the challenges that leaders face daily with their teams. Her ability to connect and challenge mindsets allows her clients to achieve their goals. She enjoys time with her husband, twin boys, and daughter, vacationing on Cape Cod and watching college football. Nikki Weber, welcome to the Strong MD Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you give our listeners a little bit about your background and who you are? Yes. So uh, Nikki Weber, and I'm a leadership development coach uh, and facilitator. My background is primarily in the government sector. Um, I was the head of emergency preparedness um, division for the Nebraska Emergency Management for many years, uh, and it was mainly state disasters. Uh, and it was Homeland Security issues, um, and also emergency management in general. Uh, so that's, that's what I did. It was high stress, um, and making decisions on the fly and hoping they were for the best. (laughs) So I feel like my life as an obstetrician is a constant emergency management (laughs) situation. I can see that. So I know our (laughs) listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Um, so tell people what you do now, uh, in your day-to-day life. Yeah. So I work with uh, leaders all across many industries, uh, C-suite managers, directors, VPs, doesn't matter. Um, they can be first-time supervisors. They may or may not have had good mentorship maybe in their early part of their career. Uh, and maybe they did and they would like someone who is a third party to be able to process through some tough issues or challenges they're facing at work. And that's where we come into play. Um, I get to be that third party that hears them and then gets to point out some maybe themes I'm hearing or phrases that I hear that I know people at work are hearing. Uh, and it, I get to be that mirror for them. This is what I heard. This is what it sounded like. Is that what you meant? Uh, and so we talk a lot about intent uh, and their messaging for their team. So, yeah. Yeah. I know in medicine, you know, we all would like to assume we're really good leaders, but we're really good doctors is what most of us are. And, you know, we own our own practices and we own our own businesses and we manage people. And I think this is such an important conversation about, you know, not only how it affects the people that we work with, but even the, the patient physician relationship too, Yes, you know, kind of guiding some of those tough conversations that we have to have. Um, so tell us if you were teaching my eight-year-old daughter what emotional yes. intelligence is. Love Tell us at the most basic is... sense, what is emotional intelligence? Yes, there's definitely scientific and academia uh, definitions. The one I like to use is emotional intelligence is the connection between our head and our heart. And a lot of times that backfires and it misfires and things don't happen, but it's intent. So it's what we feel doesn't always come out of our mouth. Uh, mm. And so that that's why we say, well, that's not what I meant. Emotional intelligence is how do you use what you're feeling? How do you word it appropriately? How do you voice it appropriately? So you take the other's feelings into account. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So when we talk about leadership, then what defines a leader who is emotionally intelligent as opposed to one who's not? 
So I think the easiest way I can describe that is we probably all have known a leader in our past that we could probably pinpoint is not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that is one that is highly charged. Um, doesn't mean that the decisions they're not making on the spot aren't wonderful, but uh, sometimes it can be shrouded in the tone they're using mm -hmm. um, or not seeking to understand. A lot of times that happens. Um, the other way I can describe that too is they're making a decision without some key people in the room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a command decision is needed and that's, you don't have as much time and you don't necessarily need the buy-in. Um, that shouldn't be the majority of the decisions we make as a leader. So it's, it's about buy-in listening yeah. to your team. Yeah. I think about that, like mean boss, like yes. prototype. And, uh, is some of it though, just personality? I mean, how, how do we develop emotional intelligence over our lifetime? Yeah. One thing I coach a lot on is being humble enough and being relaxed enough in who you are to get feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, I coach a lot of executives that say at the beginning of the relationship, uh, the coaching relationship that they, oh yes, I get feedback all the time. Nikki, I get feedback all the time. I'm super comfortable with that. And then as soon as I initiate that 360, uh, there's some hesitation there. But what if they won't be honest? What if they won't be honest? Then you're back to where you are because you didn't know. Uh, this is, if you want them to be honest, then have a conversation with them, ask them. I value you. This is why I'm sending this to you. I want you to tell me if I have ketchup on my lapel, right? That's an example mm -hmm. I use a lot. Are you the type that lets people go around and you wouldn't tell them? If you care about them, you'll tell them. Yeah. Uh, and so we talk a lot about that. We also talk um, in growing the emotional intelligence. It's recognizing when you have high levels of cortisol in your system it does not do wonderful things to the human body. It's, mm. as you know, your body's supposed to dump it. It can't yeah. stay in there and it becomes toxic. So under stress, yes. it's, we so become it's different people. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So part of the work that you do is soliciting feedback from these other key players yeah. in this person's relationship in their work. Is that what you're yes. kind of alluding to? Interesting. And home. Yeah. That's the other part of it. I encourage them to go home and ask the people that they are with outside of work best friends, spouses, you name it, uh, how they see them. Because that's that's also a, I hear this a lot, Nikki, that's not who I am at home. Or I'm a different person at home. Mm. That's not true. We're the same people. We just have different triggers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those people at home can be brutal with us sometimes. I love that saying, who you are some of the time is who you are all the time. Yeah. And it, it really is true. It, it spills over into every, you know, area of your life. So why is emotional intelligence so crucial? If I'm a doctor, why mm. should I even care about emotional? I'm a really good doctor. I know how to do surgery and deliver right. babies. Why should I care what it is? Yeah. I think, um, Dr. Seaman, you touched on it at the beginning when it was that you're going in, you're having conversations uh, many times. You you know what you're doing. You know the right um feedback maybe to give the patient. Um, one thing to keep in mind for not even just medical professions, but it could be, you also have a home life that can impact our work life, just mm -hmm. like anyone else in any other industry. The morning routine didn't go quite as you wanted. Uh, maybe at work, um, the, the lab is late at getting results to you, or um, the nurse didn't do something quite like you were 
expecting or, or yeah. routine for them. It's how do we address those situations without the stress of what happened before in the morning? It has a lasting effect. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we check that? So we go into the break room, we grab our coffee, we're frustrated, we spill the coffee, you know, and then I spilled my coffee this morning. Of course, it's, it's going to mess up my whole day. It doesn't have to. So that's what we talk a lot about too, is giving yourself time to check. <laughs> and it doesn't mean check our emotions at the door. I'll do right, that later. Right. It's maybe take a lap, maybe just walk it through. Yeah. I was just and about to ask wanna... like, what is a, a real world technique? Yeah. If I am, <laughs> couldn't find my car keys or the car broke down, my kid yes. did something right when I was walking out the door and I'm walking into the office, like, What's like a real world technique that I can use if I if I know I'm walking in like this and I, I want to fix it? The one that I think I share with most is asking yourself before you open the door to wherever you're going or opening the car door to get out is how do I want others to see me in the, wherever I'm going? How do I want them to see me in that relationship? How do I want to end that meeting that I'm going to walk into? Um, one classic case I use a lot is um, you walk into a boardroom, uh, you're going to be a key member of the, maybe you're presenting or something and you just had an awful morning. According to you, you had an awful morning and you walk in and you go, oh, okay, I've got to be on my game for this. Maybe it's taking just a lap around, or maybe it's going to an office and just shutting the door and just kind of walking through. All right. That did happen. However, I've prepped for this. I know what I'm doing. I know my stuff. How do I want them to view me? If you want to be seen as calm, cool, collected, um, you got your act together, you got to tell yourself that. So we do a lot of self-talk as well. Interesting. Yeah. And not just hoping and praying they won't see it. Right. Because they'll see it. Right. <laughs> just put your best face on. That's for mm -hmm. sure. Um, so in when it comes to emotional intelligence, I mean, people who have, how, how do I know if I have low or high emotional intelligence? Mm -hmm. So like a quiz I take or I just hire you? How does well, that there work? There are a number of those. <laughs> yes, you absolutely Google. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Uh, that actually goes back to the feedback. We have specific questions mm -hmm. uh, through coaching that uh, we'll ask people to receive from their their peers or the loved ones, whatever, whoever they want to have take it for them or um, receive the feedback. But um, a lot of times it is, how do you handle crucial conversations? Mm. There are executives that avoid crucial conversations. They, they maybe have asked someone else to have that conversation. Maybe they don't feel comfortable doing that. A lot of times you don't know unless you get feedback. Mm. A lot of us walk around thinking we are, we keep our emotions in check and we show empathy to others. And someone else might say, actually, I just shared with you a key part of what happened in my life the other day. And you acted as if we have a job to do here. I need you mm -hmm. to check it. And I'm telling you, it was devastating to me. I am going to do my job here, but I'm just telling you, things might look a little different for me at times. You know, it's yeah. it's the empathy part. I think sometimes when we get asked, uh, you know, to give feedback, I think there's always this, you know, feeling of like hurting someone's feelings, you know, when you're, when you're being honest about it. So how could somebody give emotionally intelligent feedback, maybe to their superior. I mean, maybe somebody is listening that in the hierarchy, you know, isn't the leader, maybe soon to be, but how can we give that? Fee I mean, in medicine, it is, uh, people like to use the word malignant, probably because it is a medical sure. word that is like cancer, but some people will describe certain training programs as malignant, where basically, you know, there's low emotional intelligent leaders. And sometimes when you have that, you know, like, how do we give better feedback to our leaders? 
we have something we call uh, the conversation cube is essentially what it is. Um, it's four parts. Sounds more, you know, in depth than it is, but you start with the observations. One thing I usually say is when you start with feedback, you're best not to start with the feeling part. Okay. More facts. Feeling, yes. <laughs> the feelings uh, tend to make the others defensive. Well, that's not what I meant. You're telling me you're frustrated. Oh, I didn't mean to make you frustrated. Well, I haven't even got to what happened yet. Right. Um, and so we say start with the observations, and those are the indisputable facts. Third party in the room would validate that is indeed what happened. That is indeed what you said. That is indeed non-verbally what you did. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just stating, hey, on a couple of occasions, I noticed you did blah, 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 or I noticed you mentioned blah, blah, blah. Then you go into the assumptions. That's the second part. And based on what I saw, this is what I'm assuming. Now, assumptions aren't always correct. So it's, I can only assume that's what you meant because it was the tone of voice. It was the right. nonverbals. It was cased in. And then you go into the feeling. So based on what I saw, this is what I assumed. I'm feeling like maybe blah, blah, blah. And then you end with the need. Hmm. As my leader, I would really appreciate going forward if, if that isn't what you meant in this case, can we talk about how that might come across next time or next time this comes up, how else that might be communicated? Yeah. A lot of times it's giving a direct order and it's not always delivered, no pun intended, the right way. Yeah. Just that open, honest mm -hmm. communication, which is so hard to and do. And they're scared to do it. Yeah. And I understand there. I don't want you to fire me. I don't want you to write me up mm -hmm. and I don't want to be labeled the the one that doesn't work well with others right. because I give you feedback. Um, right. And so a lot of times it starts with just the facts. Yeah. Yeah. We see, I see that in medicine a lot. I'd like have these flashbacks to like med school. I mean, you know, you're like the little med student, you've got the short white coat, you know, pretty <laughs> low on the totem pole. Um, and, and, and the people you encounter in your training, some are just absolutely and utterly fantastic. And you feel like you can mm -hmm. mess up in front of them, you know, freely. And there's others where the, the stress is like debilitating, you know, trying to perform, you know, for these types of people. So, um, if you have strong emotional intelligence, how does that make you a good leader? You've refined all of these skills. How does that make you better? Usually, uh, an individual that has high emotional intelligence will not react right away. It's a calm demeanor. A lot of times it is, what do you think? They're coming to you probably because they know you know the answer or you have the authority in the room. You should know the answer maybe. That doesn't always necessarily mean you give it right away. Sometimes it's tell me more. Tell me more. That's a phrase commonly used by folks with high levels of emotional intelligence. Tell me more. It's asking them. They're, they're also wanting to be the expert someday. Or it's So it's a lot of that coaching, mentoring mindset too. That's That was also something I was going to mention about this is those are typically your mentors or those are people that people want to learn from. Mm. They're not always coming at you with the answer. They're wanting to help you get to the answer. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, lead a horse to water. You yeah. know, it's, it's, uh, those analogies are, are so true. Okay. So thinking about, you know, in medicine, sometimes we have to make, you know, quick, decisive, 
decisions required and actions. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially I'm thinking, you know, in the middle of an operating room and patients, yeah. you know, bleeding out essentially. Um, how can we uh, act in these situations? Um, is it good to like unpack these situations as we go and kind of learn, like, what do you do with people when you work one-on-one with them? I mean, how do I know if I'm actually, you know, an effective leader in an operating room when a patient's, you know, critically ill and, and dying? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it kind of the team breakdown of, of getting that feedback from the nurses and the anesthesiologists? Is it, how do, I mean, how do we learn from our own behavior? In reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Easy to put in a textbook for sure. <laughs> uh, the, I think probably the most common is debriefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's done a lot in the military after a, a something is happening, they'll do a debrief. Um, that's also done in other industries also. But if, if there is time to do a quick, even five minute, what went good? What could we do better next time? And it could even be about, and if, if you have the authority in the room, doctor, maybe it's, hey, next time we do this, each of you, give me one thing you'd like to see me do a little differently. Yeah. And if that's part of the routine, then they become accustomed to it. And it's not awkward for them. Then they know Dr. Seaman's going to ask me each time, is there one or two things? Um, Or maybe you do once a week, but that's... I like that. And I like how you said differently and not better. Like that there's like some particular way that's best when, you know, maybe there's just different ways that you haven't, you know, thought about. I love that. I love that. Um, Okay. So, I mean, we're under a lot of stress as, as doctors and in medicine and, and um, how do we how do we navigate this throughout our career? You know, um, I, uh, I, I want to do something at the end of the podcast. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence interview questions. I, I want to bring that up, but, um, let's say you're just a med student and, um, you want to learn, you know, how to navigate this. Do you hire a coach? Do you, how, how does somebody actually put this, you know, to work for them? They certainly can. Uh, there's many different types of coaches out there. Um, I'm, a leadership development coach. There's, there's also other types of coaches out there. Um, and it really depends on what you're looking for. Some people are looking for a coach and they just think that's a good idea, but they don't necessarily know what they want to work on. So if they are wanting to work on emotional intelligence, maybe they've received some feedback in the past that leads them to believe, you know, maybe I don't handle stress so well, or maybe I don't make decisions, sound good decisions on the fly. What can I do? Reaching out to a coach, they absolutely can. Um, organizations like I, I am with sure can. Um, but a third party that they don't work with is incredibly helpful. Um, when you have that in-house, it can be groupthink or doctor, I know you, you never mean it this way, but this is how we do. And we're real quick to excuse behavior Mm -hmm. because I work with you a lot. So I know that's not what you mean. So it's a new person that comes into work with you maybe, or a new nurse may not be used to your style or something. Um, And so it's getting used to that and it's asking for the regular feedback, but a third party coach, I don't have any stake in the game with you at work. I I only want you to be more effective at Mm -hmm. your job and with the people you operate with. So. And coaches need coaches, you yes, know, it's, yes. uh, sometimes so we coach each other as well. And that is, we lovely. have our own blind spots. <laughs> we have our own blind spots. So you've talked a lot about soliciting feedback as one of the best ways to kind of figure out where you lie in this, you know, spectrum of emotional intelligence. What are, 
where are other places that we can find our weaknesses or pitfalls that maybe aren't just direct solicited feedback? Are there any? So another way uh, we talk is what we call mirror neurons. And that is something I don't know that that could happen right away with most people, but most of the time, even as we're talking, if I'm smiling, you're apt to smile more. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking distraught or upset or something in a meeting, other people are going to match that. One of the first things we talk about with clients is what kind of nonverbals do you get from others? When you're talking, do people tend to listen intently and then make their way away from you? Uh, but it's, it's being observant, self-aware. People will say they're self-aware, but they have no idea how they're coming across or the presence in which they, they take up in a room. Yeah. That maybe it's unnecessary at times. So it's it's teaching them how to be a little bit more self-aware of how others perceive them. Is there ever more conflict when you have two very emotionally intelligent leaders? Or, oh, yeah, that happens or do a lot. they just seem to get along <laughs> because they're emotionally intelligent? Or is that a no, problem in an organization? There, I think there is healthy conversations all the time being held. Uh, we call them crucial conversations. And it's it doesn't mean just because we disagree that we don't respect one another and credentials and his, you know, work, work history. It's just on this one fundamental issue or this one issue doesn't even have to be fundamental. We may disagree, but how do we move forward? Mm -hmm. If we both want the same outcome, maybe I address it this way, you address it this way. And if they're not conflicting, does it really even matter? Right. Maybe it doesn't. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in what I know to be true and everyone else should do it that way, that's losing sight of others around and their gifts, and their talents. Yeah. Do people naturally become more emotionally intelligent through their lifetime through being in scenarios? Or is it something that you, you know, actively have to work at? I would argue you definitely actively have to work yeah. at it. Um, simply because you're going to get quite a few different scenarios thrown at us uh, when we are in the work environment and at home that it's the first time I've been faced with this. I, I don't know, or I've never actually had that question before. And so training yourself, how do I want to be perceived? Mm -hmm. If it is confident and liked, maybe even, then choosing the words, but watching those nonverbals, the receiving, because those will tell you whether it was effective or not. Mm -hmm. Do you ever work with clients and think, I, I cannot teach this person this. I mean, are there some we people? We call it being uncoachable. <laughs> uncoachable. There, there is. That's very kind. <laughs> there is. There is coachable and uncoachable. The uh, coachable, as you as you can imagine, is being very open to feedback, open to new methods, new ideas, new approaches. Um, the uncoachable is a fixed mindset. This is the way it's always been. It hasn't hurt me before. In fact, Nikki, I've been promoted. Obviously, I'm doing things great. And my response might be, as an individual contributor, you might be absolutely correct. You are nailing it. You are doing an awesome job. However, maybe not in the leadership space. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some opportunity there. Um, so, no, we, we talk about that right away in the coaching relationship, too, yeah. on yeah. whether what they want to get out of this and what they're willing to do to get there. So I'm a doctor, but you know, all day, but I have a husband and a family. So I'd love to touch a little bit on just like home life and how, 
how does this play into like marriage or parenting your kids? Yeah. Especially when we talk about emotional intelligence with our clients, that's usually when the spouses come up or the loved ones at home. That's, oh, my wife has been saying this for years. I just heard that one the other day. Uh, <laughs> or, oh, my husband needs to be in here. He needs to hear this too. Okay. How do you become the coach in that case? It's not telling someone how to do things. It's not telling them, um, you know, in a, in a way, but it's just, hey, this happened the other day. This is what I assumed you meant. This is how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what did you mean? You know, it's just, that's a quick way of saying, hey, that didn't land well for me. Can we talk about that some more? And that's not going to happen overnight, probably. Yeah. But it opens the door. Yeah. Well, certainly I can imagine, you know, talking to another an adult and we mm -hmm. can really kind of see eye to eye. What about, what about kids? I mean, what about parenting? I mean, I feel like I want to no raise stress at all. I have three yes. daughters. I mean, I want to mm -hmm. raise emotionally intelligent kids, yeah. you know, at what age does this even become, you know, in the realm of like, how can I start to really foster this for them? You know, you, I, I also have uh, teenage children and I have um, a daughter as well who, who, yeah. It's the age where things are happening, right? Uh, and it is. It's a lot of explosions with emotions and words. And then it's wrapping back around later and just going, hey, can we talk about what just happened in the kitchen? Like, I just want to process it with you. And usually it's, I know, mom, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to say that, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not letting it lie. It's wrapping back around when cooler heads because in the moment, it can be pretty, I get it. I mean, a lot of feelings, a lot of yeah. emotions are happening. Yeah. Do you ever use like video feedback with people or? There's a lot of great movie clips of. Um... Is there one that comes to mind that's like, this is a great scene to like <laughs> display emotional there is. intelligence. It's an Anchorman one. And I don't know oh, if it's I appropriate. I love that movie. <laughs> when he says, when he finds out that she's going to take the anchor spot. Yes. And he says, I am in a, what is it? A glass case of emotions. Emotion. I am in a glass, yes, case, a of glass case of emotions. It is true. That is probably what it does feel like. And it is, he knows a lot of feelings are happening right now. Um, I'm not arguing that he's, he responds well uh, to yeah. the set emotions, but it's, we, we start off by showing that clip a lot of times, shutting it off and just asking the room. Cause we also do forums. Um, how many have felt like that before? You're just in a glass case of emotions. And of course, hands are raised or heads are nodded. Yeah. 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 Do you find yourself, um, oh, we have a presidential election coming up. Do you find yourself like, in, you know, looking at these people and really oh, yes. kind of gauging, you know, these little traits sure. that are, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's, and I wonder too, if it's, and it's not even just the debates, but I think I see a lot. It's just human beings want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I think, we have strong feelings about what happens to us as we yeah. should. However, it's the way we frame them and how the, the tone and the nonverbals that go around it that yeah. sometimes isn't the package we want people to see. Um, maybe in the moment it is. And then you look back and you go, wait a minute. That's why my numbers started to go down. Yeah. <laughs> or that's why people aren't calling maybe like they were. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, my daughters and I just went and saw the new Trolls movie. And it's just like, it just makes me feel like everybody just wants to be heard and be yeah. loved. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we really are truly all humans. And I think sometimes when you're in business, especially, um, you know, you want to say, look, these are the facts and this is how you're performing. And I yeah. mean, but really at the end of the day, we're very all, tactical. Yeah. Yeah. We're all humans. And I think sometimes we forget that. It's funny you bring that up. They, um, one of the things we talk about too is just creating, when you were asking earlier about, you know, you as a doctor in the operating room, you know, you have the authority in the room and that's, it's at the end of the day, you know, are we as leaders creating a psychologically safe environment for those that work with us? Mm. And so, and that just means, are you soliciting regular feedback? Just checking in. It's one of those where I, I say a lot, it's you get to hold up the mirror or you're asking them to hold up the mirror. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know we just had this meeting. It seemed to go great or, or the delivery went great. Um, however, I want to constantly improve. So again, that's that growth mindset. And I want us to get even better as a team. So give me some feedback. What are yeah. some thoughts? And maybe it's an opportunity that they give each other feedback and you get to observe. So it's, again, creating that, hey, this is a normal thing. We do feedback here. And mm-hmm. it's because we care about each other, not because we want to tell someone off. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of so many instances in medicine, um, in my training, watching different levels of emotional intelligence in an operating room and how it really just sets the tone for the whole room. You know, you got this guy or gal who's just a total jerk to everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might be a great doctor, but you can see how it starts to affect the nurses and they may not want to speak up about something, you know, all the way to the other end where it's just like, hey, we're all on the same level here. You know, we're all just trying to take care of the patient and oh man, there's, I mean, a whole spectrum, you know, in medicine that I've, that I've been able to witness for sure. You know, humor is an interesting tool to use. Um, not everyone can use humor, uh, like everyone, else, you know, sometimes yeah, some people are really good at it. Right. And some are not. And, uh, but the ones that are seem to just have an ability to relax an environment to the point that if we are relaxed, it's safe. You know, we, we can, we can tell each other some things. The moment it gets tense or awkward, we tend to be awkward. We tend to be tense. And so humor can play a big factor in that mm-hmm. too. It's just lightening the mood a little bit, brings it down. Yeah. Do you think that people sometimes would ever feel like they were perceived as like too comfortable and too casual? I mean, yeah. it can go the other way. It can. And uh, we get too comfortable in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. That was one of uh, a client uh, a while ago who that was the feedback he received. Mm. He was actually too comfortable in the boardroom. Now, granted, his level in the organization would lead you to believe that should be fine. However, by the C-suite in the room, it wasn't received quite like he intended. Uh, So we talked a lot about, okay, in order to really walk this through, I'm going to need you to do some homework go back and get specific examples. So again, those observations, Mm -hmm. ask them, when was the last time this happened? And if you could just paraphrase, what did I say? Because many times we say things, if you asked me tomorrow. Didn't remember that's how that came out. Oh, shoot. I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant. I get that's not what you meant. However, that's not how it it played out. Yep. That's how it absolutely played out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sometimes it just comes up with maturity too. Um, watching interactions with the humor in a 
boardroom or an executive level setting. Mm-hmm. It's it's watching the dynamics in the room first. Reading the room. We reading the room. We, reading the room. <laughs> no, no when to pull out the anchor man yes, lines and right. no when not, not to. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go to uh this is gonna be a fun part of the podcast, you guys. I looked up the top ten most asked yes. emotional intelligence questions asked in interviews. And they are um, typically not asked. And we're gonna which th- is interesting. Yeah, we're gonna throw these we're gonna throw these to Nikki Weber and uh we're gonna just <laughs> chat about them and see what see because I mean I think that um like interviewing for med school, interviewing for residency, interviewing mm-hmm. for, you know, my big girl job. Like there's a lot of critical points in in medicine where we need to be able to put these things on display. So let's like dissect this. Did you guys like that? That's that's a little <laughs> humor for you. Um, okay. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me about a time when you were criticized about your work. How did you handle it? And what did you learn from it? That is a fantastic question. And I, d- I know that I should probably say that on all of these, that they're a fantastic question. But that is an opportunity to hear someone really do some self-reflection. And and really, it's going back to the feedback. When was the last time you received some feedback that, frankly, what I'm asking, what you're asking that is when it didn't feel good. Mm. You know, it's the, the positive feedback is wonderful. Everybody wants that. But the moment you ask for some crucial feedback, that's a behavior change a lot of times. And so digging deep. Now, Dr. Seaman, I would argue that organizations that ask these on the spot, and we coach a lot to this, you're probably not going to get the deep, authentic, well thought out. Um, And so when you're asking or trying to incorporate more emotionally level of uh, interview questions, it's giving them a little bit of time ahead of time. Maybe pick a few of these. Some of these, I would argue, are just ask every time. Uh, but it is, it's, it's, you want to get to know them human. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a right or wrong way to answer that? I mean, how would you answer that? I mean, if, if somebody was interviewing you? Well, I think if someone asked, answered that was saying, I don't know that I can think of one or I don't mm. remember, uh, they can because they were probably embarrassed yeah. or they didn't feel good about it. And they will always remember they received that. Yeah. Uh, so they can. Yeah. And it's, Hey, it's a safe environment. We're all human. I'm going to ask you this question. We all have them. We are just asking you to be authentic with us. Yeah. Yeah. One thing in our practice is, um, we get, we do patient surveys and, uh, you know, yes. on a monthly basis, we get this packet on our desk and it's great to go through there and read the five stars yes. and but they're feel then good. there's the one stars and they're, they're hard to get over, you know, um, that's where we focus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, tell me about a time when you were most proud of your work and why, what is this, what is this teaching the, the interviewer? So that one, you, uh, you know, Dr. Seaman, I could go a couple different angles on that one. It is number one, as an individual contributor, what am I most proud of? Uh, where did it, maybe I get the credit or the glory for it? On the other hand, it's asking where you as a leader have demonstrated or created a great environment for your team mm-hmm. and they were able to succeed. Mm. So are you giving the credit to yourself or are you right. giving the credit to yeah. everybody? Yeah. And you can still be happy and proud and it's the team and you got to help create that environment. Yeah. They knocked it out of the park, but you got to be there and witness it. Yeah own that. I love that. Okay. This is a good one. If two of your coworkers on your team were disagreeing, how would you help resolve the situation? 
So I've actually seen this one uh, in asked uh, before. This is um, one where folks have gone, well, I would just hold them both in the room. We'd talk through it and they would each have their say and we'd come out and it'd be fine. Well, that, that just sounds, sounds like a unicorn situation. You bet it does. <laughs> uh, what we forget is usually one that um, is most passionate about it tends to tell a third party about it. Maybe uh, they both do. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to do that, maybe go to each of them individually. And one of the favorite questions I would ask even in a coaching situation, I'll take this even in a coaching situation, is how did that make you feel? You know that other individual. Mm-hmm. What do you think they meant? You know their heart. What do you think they really meant by that? And maybe it's still an opportunity to provide feedback and yeah. bring them in and do a feedback. But it's calming the waters before you throw them into a room. Together. Yeah. I, <laughs> Asking them to I step use into this the other person's kids. shoes. I yes. use this with my kids all the time. Do you, you do know? the t-shirt? No. Where they but, both wear this, you put it over them and they have to hug? No, but we <laughs> sit down and I'm like, okay, what did you say? And then I'm like, okay, how did that make you feel? Absolutely. You know, because I think I have three daughters, they're sisters. Sometimes yeah. emotions run high and um, you can just start saying things that can be really hurtful. And I think yeah. sometimes just hearing how that made the other person feel, it's like, Ooh, yeah. like, you know, uh, even as parents. Okay. Um, tell me about a time where you disagreed with a colleague. How did you resolve the situation? So now, you know, conflict, uh, not amongst two outlier mm -hmm. people, but mm -hmm. conflict with, with you. This one, when asked in an interview, I've, I've seen this one go where it's not, it's, they don't go very deep with it because what you're really asking is how do you handle conflict? Because we have conflict here. We, we have disagreements here. So what can we expect of you when we disagree? And they don't want in an interview, they don't want you to know that they can fly off the handle or they can say things they don't blame, mean or shame, blame. justify, yes, yes, play the victim or anything. Mm -hmm. So they're going to answer it a bit more soft. So that's why I would always follow up that question with, if they were here, what would they tell us happened? Mm -hmm. Or how would they describe that situation to us? Yeah. Usually that tends to, oh, no. well, they well. might... Because <laughs> we're going to call him. We're, we're going to call them. Like the radio show. Yes. We're yes. going to get your ex-girlphriend on the phone. on the line. <laughs> How did that make you feel? Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, oh, this one was kind of one I was alluding to. If an upset client called to complain about a product service being too high, how would you handle the situation? So now we're dealing with clients and customers. External. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That one, if they would answer that as a... Oh, I usually ask them the, the feedback. I walk them through. How do we fix it? That's a real quick solve. Chances are that's not always how it's handled. Mm -hmm. We tend to usually go defensive and blame, you know, well, we couldn't have possibly done it. It, it was something maybe oh, on they your didn't end read. Or something. Yeah, the description. Yes, they... It's not our policy or something. When when in all actuality, it's they're usually right in in what they're Maybe the way they're communicating it is mm -hmm. highly charged, uh, but they're pretty passionate about it. It's, again, how do you handle crucial conversations? And you remain calm. Did you let them speak? Did yeah. you hear them? And did you validate what you heard? That's mm -hmm. the other part of this is when you're speaking with a third party, it's 
what I heard you say was da, 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 da. Is that correct? So that way they get to say, actually, no, I'm glad you asked. That's actually not what I meant. Mm -hmm. What I meant was da, 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 da. That way you're on the same page and it evens it a bit. So that way it's not them against you. It's yeah. you're trying to meet them where they are and find a solve. Yeah. And I think sometimes I can think of a situation just this week, a patient um, needed a medication that their insurance company was kind of like not going to pay for. And she was very angry with, you know, me in our office. Mm. And I called her on the phone and, you know, I said, what's going on? And, and I said, listen, I, what I hear you saying is you are very frustrated, you know, and I, I hear your frustration because those situations are as equally frustrating for us as doctors. But in that like instantaneous moment, I could just you know, I could like see her just relaxing on the other end of the phone. Like, okay, like, you know, she gets it. Like, this yeah. is really frustrating. You've de-escalated the situation. Mm -hmm. yes. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of pouring kerosene on the fire. Yes. yes. Okay. Let's see. Uh, tell me about a time where you had a dilemma at work that prevented you from doing your job on time. Oh, that one usually gets brought up when you want to get to how does this person react when things don't go as planned, mm. do they take ownership or are they quick to blame? That's really what the question is. is. It your fault or everybody else's fault? Yeah. <laughs> what part of this did you play? Yeah. You know, your lack of preparedness does not constitute an emergency on my part kind of mm -hmm. a thing. Um, but that it usually, if you can dig a little deeper um, in their follow-up answer, it's if you could go back, what would you do different? Yeah. And it's usually I would have prepped a little bit more or I would have made a prep phone call, or I would have given myself an extra 15 minutes or something. Okay, moving forward, you probably have another case coming up. Yeah. How do you do another that? Another opportunity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, I love this one. Uh, how do you de-stress after a tough day at work? Well, is, there a, is there a wrong answer? I mean, is this just about self-care? <laughs> I drink is. a case of beer and I That's turn right. on Netflix. It is, right. There are different ways to alleviate stress, as you know. Um, exercise is is obviously one of them. It decreases yeah. cortisol in the body, it releases it, and you just you feel better. Um, that's one thing I've noticed with my clients is they almost don't feel like they deserve time to do that. And mm -hmm. frankly, I hear that a lot more for women executives. Yeah, it's I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm I've got I've got things to do at home. And, and then obviously I go home, then I have to prep meal. Everybody's hungry in the house. Yeah. And it's like, my job never shuts off. There are men obviously that have that as well. It's just, that's a common thing. Well, when do you, when do you take time for you? And a common one is I go to the store and I just push my cart around or I take longer getting groceries. Cause frankly, I don't want to go back home right now. Yeah. <laughs> or it's, that's my time. It's, I stop and get Starbucks on the way, but the exercises, I think what we lack a lot. Yeah. I don't want to drive all the way to the gym. We don't have a home gym. You can get out and walk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, self-care is, I always say like, you can't fill other people's cups if your pitcher's empty. So, you know, for me, it's like waking up at 5am and heading to the gym. It's like picking the right foods to eat because I know all of those things affect my behavior and how I perform, yeah. you know? And I think that's hard for women to see we're such givers. We do everything for our kids and for our spouse and for our work. And we just like give and give and give and give until we are just like totally depleted, you know? And I think it's, it feels really selfish, but I always say pay yourself first, ladies. That's my advice. Um, okay. 
who are two people that you look up to most and why? Oh, my word. I feel like this is a really common interview question. It is. And most will probably answer this with, um, I'm trying to think I've done a lot of interviews. In this. A lot of it is parental. Uh, they'll usually go to the my mom. I really right. look up to my mom. She was, um, you know, such a great role model for me. And and then when you, so that's the, the second part to that question uh, that I like to ask is why, and what was the relationship like? What mm -hmm. what what really made that great? It's quick to say, well, mom always gave selflessly to us, and she was just she was always present and blah blah. Okay, tell us a little bit. She more never about took that. care of herself at our. <laughs> she never went to the gym. <laughs> yes, and so it's why is that the case? Um, the other question I like to ask is that's usually a safe answer is, mm -hmm. the, but we also have folks in our life that we don't, uh, we're not related to that we have sought out for different reasons. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a mentor, um, person in your church, somebody that you just look up to yeah. or, um, that you always go to. And we talk about this a lot, um, we encourage our clients to recognize it's not, they have, they do have, it's recognizing a personal board of directors. So it's, if we were in a boardroom right now, um, I would be here and I would have certain folks around my table. So if I have an issue that I throw in the middle, it's, hey, okay, what should I do about this? You're the people in my life that I go to for certain situations. There's yeah. different people, but you're my trusted source. So what would I do? And sometimes the people on that board are, is what that's getting at can change as you grow, sure. you know, and yeah. they, they've served their purpose. And now you have a new person that comes in board. I'm not suggesting there should be 20 people, uh, maybe five. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That you call when times are tough or even just celebrating too, mm -hmm. who would be authentically proud of you and encouraging. Absolutely. Absolutely. You always have to know that, that circle, mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. that has your back for sure. Um, this is a common one in medicine, burnout, burnout in medicine. So this question, have you ever felt burnt out in the workplace? How did you deal with it and recover from it? This one is, is this like seeing how easy you quit? Is it? <laughs> and you recognize when it's happening. Mm, mm -hmm. I, I think that comes up a lot when, no, Nikki, I, I don't think as soon as I say the word burnout, because they've just led me down this path that it just, frankly, sounds exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not even in their life, but it just sounds exhausting. How do you function? And then when I say, I get in a sense, there might be close to burnout. It's, it's like that four letter word, it you is. know, it's not, but it's, yeah. and oh, no, 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 I'm not there yet. All right. All right. You're telling me you're not sleeping. You're telling me you're lethargic during the day. You're just, yeah. you're not your best, all of this stuff. Is so, that good feedback to give? You seem burnt out. Or is that kind of like a I throwing daggers? I observe this, this, and yeah. this. And then it's, I'm assuming, are you burnt out? Yeah. It, when I look at the definition of burnout and I look at the symptoms that I, the things I'm seeing with you. So again, it mm -hmm. goes back to those observations. These are things they can't say didn't happen. You, you, you've snapped, you're taking on so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the stress seems to be really high. You're, you're going from one meeting to the next, uh, that maybe not in the medical profession, but I mean, yeah. Now with well, I mean, one clinic room to the next. I yes. mean, you know, it's like yes. they're, you know, triple booking you and you only have five, ten, five, ten minutes. And then the patient charts. I mean, I think one thing that oh, contributes sure. to burnout in my day is like 
yeah, the volume of like patients you see and then the phone calls you have to make and then the charts, you have to click all the buttons and it it just seems overwhelming some days, you know? And it's just... I think I noticed too with that question with burnout is, and I see this in my coaching as well, is is your calendar running you Mm. or are you managing and owning your calendar? And that may be true in in the medical profession or maybe you don't have control over that, but it seems so much that people are... I didn't even know I had this meeting on my calendar. How did you not know? Do you, do you, how often do you look at your calendar? Yeah. How, what is your routine at the beginning of the day for the rest of your day? You know, or, oh, I completely forgot I had it. How did you forget you had it? Yeah. Walk me through your day. Walk me through your week, your planning of the week, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like you're running on someone else's hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And allowing it to happen sometimes. Yeah. This is probably the best summary of our entire conversation today. Question number 10, how would some of the people who you are closest to describe you? I mean, that's like what you've said over and over and over today. Oh, you know, really. That that is, they'll always answer that. Maybe I shouldn't have used always, but 90% of the time, they will answer that with the positive perception Mm -hmm. of us. Again, we're in an interview. I want you to hire me. I want you to think that I am. Should you say the bad things? I mean. I think that's where you follow up that question with, hey, we need to get to know you. I want to hear good, bad, and ugly. Just tell us. Mm -hmm. What are some positive things people have said about you? And what are some things that make you go, ugh? But again, it has to be packaged in this psychologically safe environment. This is what we ask all clients. We ask you to be authentic. We're going to follow up maybe, or we have some follow-up questions, that kind of thing. But again, it's telling them ahead of time, we're going to ask these type of questions. So we're going to ask you to be pretty authentic Yeah, because we're going to get to know you regardless. Yeah. And you don't want the other end, right? you know, where right. it's, oh, wish we would have known this sooner. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You need a lot of help. <laughs> I mean, can people interview that well that, or is it really, I mean, you are probably a great interviewer because you can, you know, dissect these things. We're going to be careful not to go straight. I mean, can, can, can <laughs> some people really fake it enough, you know, to get through? And, oh, there are certainly people that yeah. can fake it enough, but it will come out at the end. Even if they're selected, that's when you start to see folks that go on performance improvement plans or they're, they're getting pulled aside quite a bit. Those were, you, they're not new. Those behaviors were always there. They just weren't uncovered soon enough. Yeah. So that's why we we say hire slow. And if you have to make an exit, then you do that quickly. But you hire slow. I think too many times in the, we're we're quick to get someone because we need a butt in the seat. Kate, maybe you, maybe look for the right, but the right person for that. Yeah. Yeah. Position. So such good advice. Well, this has been so lovely. Thank you. Tell people um, where they can find you, find your work, or maybe even work with you if they want to. So Nikki Weber, and I'm with an organization called Leadership Resources. We have offices in Lincoln and in Omaha, also virtual. Uh, We have clients all over the world. So were you virtual before the pandemic or we actually were, you were we virtual had, before virtual was becoming cool. We did. We, <laughs> we worked with an organization with women executives, oddly wow. enough, uh, fitting for this conversation, yeah. uh, from all over. And that was ladies. That was one of my favorites. I okay. That makes all. me think of one last question <laughs> that we have to talk about. Um, how are women and men different when it comes to emotional intelligence? Oh man, men 
look at it me. might be a whole there. podcast episode, <laughs> they might, but they're like say it it's fine i think women a lot of times get labeled as the nurturers um maybe we get labeled as emotional she got emotional i i use this scenario a lot um when i hear my my male clients say no i don't Emotion, you got to take emotion out of it. Or I'm not emotional. I'm not emotional. And I usually always raise the flag. <laughs> I go, you are. You're not recognizing when you're emotional. Mm. I use the example of when they go to buy a car. When men typically go to buy a car, probably agree, you sit in the car and the first thing they do is grab the steering wheel. How does it feel? The grip, right? How does the car smell? How does it feel? make them feel the seat. Is it grabbing them? Is it snugging them in? It's, it's all in how the car makes them feel. That's emotion. That is absolutely emotion. So they're using it when they're making decisions. Mm -hmm. That's no different than what we do. We just maybe vocalize it more. They're quick to get out in the car and go, yep, that's the one that that'll work. Good engine. That'll work. Yeah. Okay. They may not say the other, but they did. They definitely had it. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, the, the men won't like what I'm about to say, but there was a study a number of years ago that showed that uh, patient, critically ill patients admitted to the hospital were more likely to die under the care of a male physician. And and the premise of the whole article was not to, you know, say right. women are better than men, yes. right? Which of course is how the headline read. Yes. But, um, but I think there is a, a piece of that where, you know, the nurture, the emotion, the makes them really good doctors, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and really good caregivers. And, uh, it's okay. You know, I yeah. think sometimes in like corporate America, you oh, know, yeah. you're like, I can't act, you know, be definitive. I gotta, you gotta, I gotta keep broad shoulders and, you yeah. know, sit at the the big table. And, uh, you, you know, I think just showing up authentically is so important. You know, the, the premise of being assertive, you know, when we work with a lot of uh, women executives, it's Nikki, I'm, I'm assertive. I feel like I'm assertive, but we get labeled when we're being assertive certain word uh and that but my male colleagues don't get labeled that way in fact they get promoted for for you know being overly assertive or mm -hmm. getting things done nikki how can i overcome that yeah. and it's it's a matter of how did you word it how did you carry yourself a lot of times it can be oh, i guess i could have worded that slightly different or oh yeah i could have got some better feedback now that doesn't mean that males did anything wrong necessarily or anything, but it's, it's recognizing a lot when to lean in. Um, there's, there's been many times where you go, you watch a, a movie, something, or you walk in and there's a meeting, you walk into your next board meeting and watch where people sit. It is fascinating how many times a female might walk into the room and look for the galley chairs. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me. I'm going, or a C-suite level, get your sit up at the table. You've earned that, right? Oh, I'm only presenting just for a little bit. Okay, were you told to sit in that chair? No, 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 I just figured, assumed. Men will come in and just sit down. Yeah. Come in and sit down. Yeah. Are they really going to ask you to get up and not sit there? Right. So it's leaning in. Doesn't mean being awful about it. It just, no. Yeah. You're, Hold your space. You've got, you've got the jobs. Yeah. Use them. I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, you guys have some homework from the podcast. You need to go ask your loved ones how they would describe you. Cause I think 100%. that we, the first people we should start with is just eliciting that feedback from, from our, our very close circle. And uh, this has been such great advice. Thank you for this. Ooh, this is wonderful. This. 
I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Nikki talking about emotional intelligence. I know this is a tool that you can keep in your toolbox to help you land those jobs, be a better physician, be a better spouse, and really a better human. Enjoy the episode. And of course, like, share, and leave your comments for us.